right. Thank you, ladies, very much. Good morning, everybody. I'm uh, excited to be standing here before you again. And uh, I have to say, as I was on my way up to the platform, somebody asked me, so are you preaching today? And I said, yes, I am. And they said, oh, boy. (laughs) Um, I know last time I preached, I had a a pretty uh, sizable burden on my heart, and I kind of came up and exploded a little bit. And God leads that way sometimes. In fact, I want to say this. I do not intend on exploding before you here this morning. I intend on giving you something I trust will be a help and an encouragement to you here today. Um, but just a lesson for the preacher boys. Um, there, are, there are some who think, if I'm an evangelist, I have to preach hard every time I preach. Did you know that's a wrong perspective? You know, and there are some, due to insecurity and feeling like they have to prove that they're something, uh, that they're an evangelist worth their salt, they feel like I have to get up and shuck the corn every time I get up to preach. It's not true. What you do need to do, however, is you do need to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. And when He is the one who leads you to uh, be confrontational and go after an issue hard, you do it. And what will happen is he'll give life, and God will help, and God will meet the need, and people's hearts will be changed, and God's will will be done. But if you step in and try and do that because you want to, because you're trying to prove a point it's flesh, it will hurt, and people uh, will not be helped. Uh, You know, as I thought about it this way, and this is not my message here today, uh, but in Ephesians 4, it's not my text. In fact, you can start turning to 2 Corinthians 1 if you could. Um, But in Ephesians 4, it talks about the gifting of the pastor and the evangelist, and it says all of them are for the perfecting or equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. And both the pastoral gift and the evangelist gift are both given to make us useful in the ministry so that God's work can be built up and moved forward. Sometimes that requires a confrontation. Sometimes that requires truth to be presented in a way that's clear and liberating. Uh, Sometimes that just means discouraged saints need to be encouraged. But regardless of whatever it is, it's all for the same goal that God's work and God's will and God's church would be moved forward. And so here today, I want to present something I trust uh, will be an encouragement and a help to you here. This is something God's been teaching me much. Uh, and uh, so let's go ahead and dig in. I want to start reading in verse 3 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Here the scripture says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. What I'd like to talk to you about here this morning is the comfort continuum. Let's open with a word of prayer. Dear God in heaven, I do pray that you would attend this time together as we open your word and study what it says. I pray that you would enable me by the power of your spirit, Lord, to preach in a way that's helpful, that's encouraging, that's uplifting, that will life these young people here in this room. Uh, God, what I may have planned uh, to say, I pray if it's not your will and if it wouldn't be a help, that I wouldn't say it, but I do seek to be filled with your life and your strength, uh, Lord, with your uh, reviving presence. Lord, I pray that you would be here and help us. God, I'm sure there are some who need this message here in this room today, and I pray, Spirit of God, you'd bring it 
home in every heart that needs it. Help me to be clear, but Lord, even more than that, I pray that you would help me uh, to, to be full of your presence here. Um, I can't do it, but you can, and I thank you that you can. And so help us now in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, back in April, uh, my family and I, we were down in uh, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Where's Will? Uh, Will was Will and Wesley were both with us down there. We had a couple of days uh, between our meetings. Uh, we had just completed the war in Pine Bluff, and boy, God had met with us, didn't he? Um, God brought out so many young people. It was so encouraging to see uh, not only a lot of young people come, but a lot of young people get saved. And one of the things particularly that was a thrill to me was to see a young man who got saved back in 2012. He got to lead six uh, no, uh, four young people to Christ himself that week. And that was just multiplying fruit. It was awesome to see. But we had a couple rest days after that before we went down to uh, Alabama, uh, I'm sorry, Mississippi for our next meeting. And as we were waiting there, I got a bright idea in mind. Um, my son has a little bike. Many of you have seen his little green Hot Wheels bike. And I thought, you know what? Today's the day. Today's the day that we remove the training wheels from his bike. And, uh, you know, I got, I got his bike there, and I told him, I said, David, you're going to learn how to ride a bike without training wheels here today. Now, he was a master and a pro at riding the bike with the training wheels. He'd never done it without the training wheels, but I'd watched him ride before. And I had seen that as he would ride, those training wheels wouldn't really touch that much. You know what I'm talking about on either side? And I thought, he can do this. And so I, uh, I got a ratchet set and I took off the training wheels and uh, I kind of put them on the bike. And of course, you know, the first time he'd ever done this, he kind of tottered around and uh, I think he may have fallen off once or twice. I can't remember exactly, but I do know there that day he did not learn how to ride on uh, without training wheels. In fact, he got kind of scared of riding anymore. And uh, for a couple weeks, he did not ride his bike at all. And as me, as his father, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, come on, man, I'm not doing this to punish you. I'm doing this to move you up to the next level. You know what I'm talking about? To go from with the training wheels to do it without the training wheels. And yet there was a day where I thought, okay, he is just not riding his bike anymore. I'm going to put the training wheels back on. But you know, a lot of parents, in fact, maybe you've had this experience of when the training wheels were taken off of your bike growing up. Okay, how many of you remember the day? when your parents took off the training wheel. How many of you saw blood on that day? Okay, many of you saw blood on that day. Okay, I remember, uh, yeah, and you know, a lot of times we look at that and we think, oh, you know, we can look at the blood and the bleeding knee or elbow and we can think, mom and dad, what are you doing to me? Are you trying to kill me by taking the training wheels off? And boy, many a parent has experienced much crying, screaming, blood, gore, etc. the day they take the training wheels off. But I think we all know, as I knew when I took the training wheels off of my son, and I'm sure you probably realized when your parents, uh, eventually when, the, when your parents took the training wheels off of your bike, your parents weren't taking the training wheels off to punish you they were taking the training wheels off to move you to the next level. You understand that? You know, many times in our lives, we're going throughout life and we feel like we got things under control. We feel like we've figured this 
thing out. At this point in, the fresh, in your freshman year, you think, you know what, early on in the semester, I was dying. Earlier on in the nine-week block, I was dying, but I think I'm starting to get it figured out. But God has a way of, in those situations, taking the training wheels off. And many times when God takes the training wheels off, there's blood. Most of the time, there are tears. And for sure, there is distress and affliction. But I want you to understand something here today. When God takes the training wheels off of your life and you experience distress and affliction, when you think you've got it under control and all of a sudden the training wheels fly off and you feel out of control, I want to tell you something. God's not doing it to punish you. God's doing it to take you to the next level. In fact, God wants to take you to the next level, not just so that you can experience his help, as we'll see, but so that you can turn around and teach somebody else how to ride the bike without the training wheels, so to speak. You see, God intends for every one of us throughout our life to grow and grow and grow in our understanding of how God can help us in affliction. And God does that for us so we can turn around and help other people find the same help that we found in God in our affliction. And God just intends for the continuum of God's comfort and help to multiply and to multiply and to multiply, as we'll see here. But what I want to do is I want to take a look at exactly what Paul is saying here in this passage, because I think as we look at the passage, we'll find help. And that's by design. So let's begin looking again at chapter 1, verse 3. Here Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, and he says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. i got to say something about that word comfort there for just a second. The Bible word for comfort, it's related to the word paraclete found in John chapter 15. And the idea of the Bible word comfort is uh, there are multiple nuances to it. One of the nuances of the Bible word comfort is what we think of in English, comfort. Oh, poor baby. That's a tough situation you're going for. But it's okay, okay? There's an emotional comfort. There's an empathy that's involved in this word. But in addition to that, there's also the idea of encouragement, where there's an idea of, hey, I know things are tough, but hey, it's all right. You can do this. But I believe in this context, there's more than just empathy, and there's more than just encouragement involved in this use of this word in this passage. Um, Some have said this, the comfort that Paul has in mind has nothing to do with a languorous feeling of contentment. It is not some tranquilizing dose of grace that only dulls pains, but a stiffening agent that fortifies one in heart, mind, and soul. Comfort relates to encouragement, help, exhortation. God's comfort strengthens weak knees and sustains sagging spirits so that one faces the troubles of life with unbending resolve and unending assurance. Another commentator, A.T. Robinson, says this, Paul makes rich use of the word parakaleo and the substantive paraklesis in this passage. He urges all sorrowing and troubled hearts to find, get this, strength in God. And here in this passage, when the Bible uses the word comfort, I believe he's not just talking about empathy. He's not just talking about it's going to be okay. He's talking about God's divine assistance. Think in John 14, 15, 16. What is the Holy Spirit called there? 
the comforter. Does anybody know what the Greek word is that he's called there? Okay, you don't know that. That's okay. He's called the paraclete. And the idea of that is one who's called alongside to help. The paraclete is the one that God has given to us so that we're not on this Christian journey on our own. The, the disciples were worried because they felt like, well, we've had Jesus with us up until this point, but Jesus is now talking about the fact that he's going to go away. He's going to be gone. What in the world are we going to do? I don't know how we're going to make it. I don't know how we're going to do what God wants us to do. And Jesus said, it's okay. In fact, it's better because I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send somebody who won't just be with you like I am right now. He'll be in you. And I'm sending this one to come alongside of you to be in you so that he can help you from the inside out. And so here Paul is saying, hey, listen, I'm praising God because the God is the God of all comfort. God provides divine assistance. In what settings does he provide this divine assistance? Look at verse 4. He says, who comforteth us, who, can I say, helps us. In all our tribulation. I want you to understand that God wants to show up in your tribulation. You may be here today and your tribulation may be my classes. <clears throat> How many of you, your tribulation is my classes? All right. Oh, come on. All right. I can just say generally your tribulation is Greek. Okay. I'm sure many would identify with that. Did you know God wants to show up in your Greek? Did you know God wants to show up? You, you name a situation in your life that seems challenging. You name a situation in your life that seems like it's going the wrong direction fast like your Hebrew grade seminarians. And I want you to know God wants to show up and offer his divine assistance in that affliction of your life. Sorry, Dr. Paul, but it's an affliction to many. <clears throat> I've been there, I've been afflicted, and I experienced God's help. But you know, uh, I got to take a step back here for just a moment. I got to talk a little bit about the letter and why this is so particularly pertinent to those whom Paul is writing. Uh, I think you all understand that Paul wrote uh, a number of things and had a number of interactions with the Corinthians. You understand that Paul, on his second missionary journey, was called over to Macedonia, and there he planted several churches. He traveled down the peninsula to, uh, the, uh, uh, to the city of Corinth, and there God showed up. He preached the gospel. A bunch of people were saved, and they formed a church. Paul stuck around with those individuals for a year and a half and taught him the word of God. He taught them the revelation of God, and those people were established. Paul moved on in his missionary journey, and it was between the first First and second missionary, uh, sorry, the second and third missionary journey that Paul received a letter from the Corinthians with some questions. In addition to a letter, he received some word from some from that church who had said, hey, Paul, I know they wrote you a letter and I know they've got, they've got some questions, but things aren't too hot in the church at Corinth. There's fighting going on in the church. There's fornication going on in the church. There's a focus problem there in that church. And Paul sat down because of these problems in the church and wrote the epistle of 1 Corinthians. Well, after this epistle was delivered, God did a work. Uh, there was all kinds of things that happened, and I won't go into that for now, except uh, uh, as a result of some of Paul's correspondence with them, the situation was partially resolved. However, I have to say there were still some misconceptions about Paul there in that church. There were still some factions there in that church. And I would say by and large, there was a great misunderstanding about Paul and how his ministry worked and what it looked like. In fact, one commentator said this, the picture one gets from reading between the lines is that Paul has been exposed 
to so much suffering that he looks like death. Some Corinthians doubted that the reign of Christ could ever triumph through such a weak and perishable apostle whose life always seemed to be at risk. His mission seemed to be filled with nothing but mishap. Where was the evidence of God's power? For some who evaluated him from a worldly perspective, Paul's unending suffering cast doubt on his apostolic power and the shame that some attached to his travail subverted his authority in the church. They may have thought that God would do a better job of watching over him if he were doing what God wanted. There were some who looked at Paul and said, wait a second, Paul, bad things happen to you all the time. You can't be a man of God. You know what, Paul, you're constantly facing death in the face. Things are constantly going wrong for you. People are constantly trying to kill you and persecuting you. You're constantly being afflicted, Paul, and we don't know if that's the kind of road we want to go down. We don't think that's how God would really let his representative to the Gentile world be treated. We think God would stand up for him if that was real who you are, Paul. And so there are some in the church that, that were, that were fat in factions and some were saying, I don't know about that, Paul. Things go bad for Paul. I don't know that we should follow Paul because things just go so badly for him. And Paul here, I believe, in this section of his epistle, in fact, he carries it throughout the epistle as saying, listen, you look at me and you say things are going bad for me and so you think you aren't sure you want to follow me? You don't think I'm a legitimate apostle, man of God, sent from God? Well, I've got news for you. God loves not only to send affliction on my life, but to deliver me from those afflictions. In fact, here, what he's saying here, um, he says in verse 4 again, God is the God of all comfort who comforteth us. The us is not just Paul and the people he's writing to. I believe the us is me, Paul, those with me here. He says, God comforts us in all our tribulation, and here's why. That we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble. In other words, God says, hey, listen, I want you to understand something. Yes, things go wrong in my ministry. Yes, people try to kill me. Yes, there are afflictions and distresses around every corner as I travel the Mediterranean world preaching the gospel. But I want you to know God shows up and he delivers me from those things. And here's why he does it, because he wants me to be able to point others to the comfort, the, distress, uh, the help, the divine assistance that I experience in those troubles. He says, uh, by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. So what he's doing is he's setting up here uh, a basic progression. He says, here's what happens. We experience distress. When we experience distress, we look to God, and guess what God gives us? He gives us his comfort. So we experience comfort. Then what happens is we run across somebody who's experienced in distress and we say, hey, you know what? I experienced distress too. But guess what I found? I found God's comfort. And you can too. And guess what happens? Those people, they look to God for God's divine assistance. And guess what they find? They find God's comfort. So here, Paul is saying the distresses and afflictions that happen in my life, these distresses and afflictions are so that I can find God and then show others how they can find God in their distresses too. He says in verse 5, For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation, that's the same word for comfort, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And what he's saying here is in essence is this, hey, 
the worse it gets. The more I experience Christ's sufferings, the more the afflictions flare up. Guess what I get to find more and more of? God's. So guess what? The, the harder it gets, the more God gives His comfort. Can I say this? You're going to have a certain level of affliction, if I can say that, in your freshman year. Your sophomore year, it's going to get even more. Your junior year, it's going to get even more. And by the time you're a senior, if you haven't found God's comfort, you're going to want to kill yourself, just about. Okay? Because things do progress. God is intending to move us to the next level so we can find more and more of His comfort. Exactly. It's His help. His divine assistance. And in verse 6, he turns the tables on him. He says, listen, uh, generally speaking, God gives us affliction so he can give us his comfort so we can turn around and show other people how they can find his comfort in affliction. But he turns the gun, so to speak, on the Corinthians here in this moment. Verse 6, he says, and whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Look near the end of the verse. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. Do you sense a little bit of repetition there? Okay, so he's saying on the one hand over here, if we are afflicted, guess what you find? What does it say? He says, okay, if I, Paul, I and my party, we experience affliction. Okay, and as we experience affliction, we find God's comfort. And we see somebody else like, oh, hey, you Corinthians in affliction. And we turn to you and say, hey, guess what you can find in God? You can find His. And guess what happens when we find His comfort? We find deliverance. And what he's saying here is, listen, whether on the one hand, when we're afflicted, guess what? I'm going to skip all the middle steps. Here's the end goal. It's so you can find God's. So wait, we're afflicted? So you Corinthians can find God's. Okay, and in the end of the verse, he says, or whether we be comforted, whether we find God's help. Guess what that's for too? So you can find God's. Yeah, just if I put my hand to the ear, just say comfort. Okay, that's how it works here in chapel today. So he's saying, listen, whether things go bad in my ministry or whether God shows up in my ministry, both instances, it is so you Corinthians can find God's divine assistance. You look at me, Corinthians, and you say, we don't know that we want to follow Paul. We don't know that we like the fact that bad things happen. He says, guess what? You would have never found God's comfort had we not experienced affliction and distress. And what Paul here is saying is, listen, we are afflicted so you can find God's comfort and deliverance. And verse 7, he gives us hope for them. He says, and our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, those are the afflictions, the distresses, so shall ye be also of the consolation. The idea of what he's saying here is, listen, I'm confident. He may be slightly overstating it here, okay? There's a sense in which the Corinthians, he's a little bit like, oh, I hope they're going to do the right thing. I mean, I'm confident. You ever say something like that to somebody? You know, you're really, really kind of worried that they're not going to do very well in their next Greek test. Well, you don't experience that. Um, but uh, you're kind of worried, uh, oh boy, I sure hope they do okay. And you say, hey, guess what? You're going to do just fine. <laughs> okay? I'm not saying Paul is in doubt of God's comfort. The only thing I think he might potentially be in doubt of is them taking God's comfort. Okay? So it's like he's saying this, listen, I'm confident that as you are partakers, as you find me 
in these afflictions and distresses, you will find my comfort and my deliverance. And by the way, this was not just theory for the Apostle Paul. Look, look at verse 8. And I'm going to come back. I'm going to give some points of application here. But in verse 8 here, he says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant. This is not a brand new thought here. He's given a story to illustrate what he just said. He said, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. Now let me say just a word here. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, it's believed that he was in Ephesus. And at the end of the epistle of 1 Corinthians, he said, hey, pray for us. There's a great door that's open to us, but there are many adversaries. And he says, listen, things, uh, th there's a lot of opportunities here, but I'm foreseeing a battle. Pray for us. Pray that God will show up. Pray that God will help us because I think things just might get pretty bad. And what he's saying right here is, uh, yeah, um, remember that prayer request? Things did go pretty bad, actually. Um, they got really bad really bad. He's currently writing from Macedonia. He had just come from Asia, so this is all fresh in his mind. Asia uh, meaning uh, Ephesus, the city in Asia there. And he says here, he says, for we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble with came, which came to us in Asia that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. Sounds like my Greek class. Okay, we were pressed beyond capacity. Okay, this was totally outside of anything we could handle. Uh, we were despairing of life itself. Okay, we look at that, and again, we just read words, and we, we don't tend to catch what he's saying here. He's saying things got so Bad. The situation had so spiraled out of control. The opponents, the enemies had so, had so attacked Paul that the city had so got up in a rage against Paul. Paul, he was thinking, I don't know how we can go any further. I don't know how we can take the next step. I don't think we're going to make it. I think we're done. I think we're through. In fact, in the next verse, he says, but we have the sentence of death in ourselves. He's saying, listen, I want you to know we thought literally, not figuratively, literally we thought we were going to die. We thought we were going to die. Okay, you've not experienced that in Greek class, okay? But we really literally thought we were going to die and go to heaven. Things were bad. This was affliction par excellence. This was distress to the extreme. He's saying, listen, I want you to know it got bad. It got really bad. But God was teaching him something. And he shares his lesson with us here. He said, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead. You know, it's like this. Paul found himself in a situation where he felt like there was no way forward. He felt like there was, uh, there was no hope, so to speak. He felt like, I'm going to die. Things got so bad. What God was teaching him in the midst of that affliction, uh, affliction is God was saying, hey, listen, guess what? You might die. But I could raise you from the dead if I needed to. I could resurrect your grave. I can resurrect you literally. I can resurrect you figuratively. He's saying, listen here, I want you to understand, God was teaching me a lesson 
that even though I might die, God still had the power, even through that, to do a great and mighty work. In fact, he tells us in the next verse, verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death. I personally don't think that's talking about salvation. I think he's talking about the situation that he's just been talking about. We thought we were going to die. These people, they wanted to kill us. It was totally beyond our capacity to handle. We thought it was all done. We thought, all right, it's going to be two and a half missionary journeys of Paul the Apostle here. Okay, and he's saying, listen, we, we thought we were a goner. But God was teaching us that, you know what, even if we died, he could raise us from the dead. And you know what? He delivered us. He showed up. You know what we call that? We call that God's... Yeah, let's try that again. Okay, we thought we were going to die and God showed up and delivered us. You know what we call that? We call that God's comfort, comfort his help, his divine assistance. But you know, not only, did he learn, not only did he see God deliver him in that setting, in that particular instance, it wasn't just that he saw God deliver them, uh, him in methods of Bible study. It wasn't just that he saw God deliver him in first year Greek. It was a brand, it was, uh, he's saying, listen, I know God delivered me there, but he took an application further than that. He says, verse 10, who delivered us from so great a death and doth deliver. In other words, he's not done. He delivered me there, and guess what? He is delivering me now. He continues to deliver me. In fact, he goes on and he says, in whom we trust, that he will yet deliver us. He's saying, listen, the deliverance of the past gives me confidence for the present and hope for the future that God, who delivered us then from so great a death, can deliver me right now from whatever the affliction is that I'm facing. And whatever affliction is around the corner tomorrow, God can show up and give me his comfort and his help in those times of distress. And he's saying, listen, I want you to understand something. God, God loves to show up in our distresses. God loves to show up in our afflictions. When we feel like there is no path forward, God loves to say, hey, guess what? I, I am the path forward. Come to me and find your help in me. A couple of things I want to say here. Um, God intends for us in situations of tribulation and affliction, whether that be a class or a home situation, a financial trial, uh, maybe a trial brought on by your own mistakes and sins god wants to show up in those situations and he wants to in the midst of impossibility show himself to be strong he wants to in the midst of uh, there being no path forward to make a way forward god wants you to experience his comfort his help his divine assistance so i got three observations three commands three uh, points here that i want to give to you here briefly before i let you go first is this Find God's comfort. You may be here today, and uh, you say, Preacher, I am really, really in a hard spot right now. I don't know that I can find a way forward. I'm not getting it in Greek class. I don't know how I can move forward in this class or the other class. I feel like I'm hitting a brick wall in my music practice. I've got a big uh, a recital coming up and I just don't think I'm going to be ready. I don't know. I haven't led anybody to Christ in weeks and weeks and it's bothering me and I just don't feel like I can move forward in this situation. I've got a huge school bill and I don't see how God can pay for it. I don't know what to do. I don't see a path forward. Here's my counsel to you. Find God's comfort. 
Get alone with him. Seek his face and find his help. He is the God of all comfort. He wants to show up in your situations. So get along with God, reach out to him, and don't rely on yourself, but rely on him to change the situation for your good. So number one, in the midst of distress, take God's help. Number two, don't just find God's comfort, learn God's comfort. You know, many times we experience deliverance and we think, oh, that was lucky. I'm sure glad that situation worked out. (laughs) Boy, I hope I never see a situation like that ever, ever, ever in the future. But you know what? God doesn't just want us to take and find his help in distresses. God wants us to learn that that's how he works. Okay, don't think that the distresses and afflictions will be done when you're done with my class. There are plenty of afflictions and distresses to come after that. Dr. Paul's got second semester. Okay? Don't think that all the problems, the financial challenges and trials will be over when you graduate from college. Can I tell you, they've just begun. And what you've experienced in college, the things you've had to believe God for financially in college are so that he can take you to the next level when you're out and about beyond college. Learn God's comfort. God brings distresses in our lives so we can be overcomers. Listen, you can't be an overcomer unless you have something to overcome. And God can't show his comfort in affliction unless we experience affliction. Um, When distresses show up the worst, God is up to his best. You know, I really don't have time for the story, but just briefly, uh, some of you may have heard after we were done here for the Falls Cola Clash VBS this last summer, we had a long drive to get down to uh, Bel Air area, Maryland, and we had two days to do it, and we drove from here. Uh, One of our team members had snapped her ankle, well, not snapped, but severely sprained her ankle. Our team was tired because Falls VBS does something. It totally drains you. And while the rest of you all got a chance to sack it out the following week, we had another cold clash to go to right after that. And so we're on our way driving across the country. We stopped overnight in Ohio and part of our team caught up because they had a doctor's appointment and we're making our way down uh, after Ohio there in Broadview Heights and we're making our way down. And uh, just about a half hour after we started that morning, I, I was looking out the rearview mirror and I said, hey, Joe, Brendan, is uh, does the trailer look a little crooked to you out there? And they turned around and looked and they said, uh, yeah, it does. And I said, oh no. So I pulled over to the side of the road and I went out and I looked underneath the passenger side tires and sure enough, one of the shackles that was holding the two, uh, the suspension together was hanging down underneath. And so we basically popped the shackle in our suspension. So we, ho- we, uh, we um, hobbled it to a repair shop. They fixed it and we kept going on the road. And uh, we were in the Somerset Travel Plaza and we were pulling in to get fuel. And my son, four years old, he says, hey, daddy, we should probably stop and check the tires. And I'm thinking, what in the world? But I've learned God speaks through my son when it comes to checking on things. I don't know how or why, but he does. So we stopped. Long story short, two of my tires were about ready to go. Apparently, one of them had got worn on the inside because of how it was crooked prior to us getting fixed. That was about to go, and the other one had a huge hole in it from who knows where. I only carry one spare with me, and it was Saturday evening, and all the tire shops were closed. I didn't know what I was going to do. 
I called roadside assistance and I thought, well, this guy will be able to maybe patch one of the tires and we'll be able to use the spare for the other one. And so he comes and he puts the little thing, you know, jabs the tire, pulls the stuff out, starts filling it up. He gets right up to 80 PSI and the plug he puts in goes... And he says, no problem, I'll put in like five of them. So he gets like five of them, stuffs them in, you know, cuts it off, fills up the tire, and uh, it gets right up to 80 PSI and uh, goes, another hole popped into the tire. And he's like, that's all right, I'll patch that one. So he sticks several plugs into that one and he cuts it and he's filling up to 80 PSI and it gets right up to 80 PSI and it goes, two more holes. And he says, I don't think this is going to (laughs) work. And you know, long story short, we ended up riding on the bald tire that was bald on the inside at 45 miles an hour for the rest of the night. We had three hours to go. It probably ended up taking about five or six hours to get all the way to our destination. We arrived at the church at midnight, and there was a very real sense in which I was thinking, even before we got there, I was thinking, is God just not in this meeting? Is there something wrong with me? Did I do something wrong? You know, what's the problem here? Why is this going on? But you know, when I arrived, I thought, you know what? I think I know what's going on. God's up to something big. And I preached out of this text in Sunday school that morning, and I said, you know what, folks? Let me tell you a little about what's happened to us the last 48 hours, and I want you to know God is going to do something this week. It wasn't how I envisioned. We didn't have a large crowd. We had a very small one, but we had a very ripe one. And I think it was 10, 11, 12. I don't remember the exact number of young people that got saved. But what's really neat about that is most of them lived in the same Um, row home complex as the youth pastor. They knew him. There was huge opportunity for follow-up. Listen, this is unusual. There are so many of the families who came to the Cola class who were saying, I didn't even know this church existed. I've been looking for a church just like this, and God was all over the meeting. God was trying to teach us that he loves to bring comfort, his help, his divine assistance out of weakness. And I'm out of time, but lastly, share God's comfort. It's not just so you can see God show up in your life. It's so you can point others to what you found. Point others to the solution you found for your distresses. Here's a quote. God doesn't comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. And uh, I'm actually trying to do that here today. Again, I've just shared a couple things, but you know, I've seen it. God brings affliction so he can show up. And I'm telling that to you so you can find that God shows up. He wants to show up in your affliction. And I trust you'll find God to show up in your life so you can turn around to a younger person in the college and tell them, hey, listen, I've been there, I understand, and I want you to know the same solution for me, though it may be a different set of circumstances. The solution for me is going to be the solution for you. Find God's comfort. God wants to show up and he wants to do something big. You know, you may find yourself in a very difficult situation, but I want you to know God will meet you there. He'll deliver and he'll use you to point others to him as well. Let's go ahead and every every head bowed and every eye closed here before I let you go. How many of you here would say, Brother Bosler, as you've been talking here this morning, I needed this message. May I see your hand? I don't doubt that most of you have been going through a a circumstance of affliction in one form or another. Well, here's what I want to encourage you to do here. If we could all please stand for just a moment. 
In a moment, the piano is going to play, and if God has touched your heart about a way in which you need to believe him for your present distress, I want to encourage you, come out, come forward, talk to God about it, reach out and take God's comfort for your distress. As the piano plays, you come and talk to God about it.